Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Not the World Series, but this is Connor in coverage. We do this every Tuesday night, uh, talking about some Georgia football, Georgia news, Georgia recruiting. Uh, no Braves talk tonight as they get started on game one on Fox. I will note if you hear any screaming or yelping, uh, that means two things. One, that is my roommates who are huge Braves fans, but two, it probably means the Braves have done something well. So sort of be aware of that. That might happen in the course of the 45-ish minutes we go tonight. Um, we heard from Kirby Smart to talk, uh, to sort of start things off tonight, uh, gave the latest, sorry about the brief audio interruption there, uh, given the latest on injury news, um, JT Daniels thoughts on Florida thoughts on sort of the, the program as a whole. We will get into that. Uh, I wrote about it this morning and I want to touch back on it again. Uh, and it's obviously the headline of our show, Kirby Smart versus Dan Mullen. It is a very contentious sort of, I think, coaching rivalry. I, I feel pretty confident in saying Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen do not like each other. And I do think that this sort of rivalry, while, yes, Dan Mullen won last year, could be coming to a head, maybe not this season, but uh, certainly next season, uh, if things continue to trend the way that they go there. And then I was I was listening to a couple of national media podcasts, Scott Van Pelt, sort of talking about the playoff. And while I'm not going to go down all the rabbit holes of this, that, and the other, I did get a chance to watch some of the other college football teams this weekend, you know, Oklahoma, Oregon, Ohio State, Alabama, et cetera, there. And college football playoff rankings for the first time come out next week. So we'll probably spend, you know, a few minutes on that and then and obviously open things up for your guys' questions, thoughts, comments you guys might have. Braves updates. So a, a full and loaded show here tonight on October 26th, I believe. Game one of the World Series is going on. So should be a fun show that we have in store tonight. Uh, but let's begin you know, with the newsiest element of this on JT Daniels. What Kirby Smart had to say about him, where he is in terms of his recovery. Obviously, things have been trending in the right direction as of late with him. He was able to practice and throw more last week. More importantly, Kirby said on Monday he was able to throw without pain. I think that's a big thing. And gave two separate updates on Daniels and sort of the quarterback situation at large. Here's what Kirby Smart had to say when asked. Right off the bat, talking about the Georgia quarterback situation, how you prepare both potentially Daniels if he is healthy and able to go, but also having Bennett and getting him starters reps as well so that in the event that Daniels' lat injury does flare up once again, you have a guy in Bennett who is able and ready to go. Carson Beck has taken uh, less reps this week because JT has taken more reps. And the combination of Stetson and JT is to get them both prepared um, because there are two quarterbacks right now. So he's looked good. He's done a good job. I, I, I would be remiss if I could tell you everything he did today. That's why when we, when we hang up this call, I go in and watch it and see it, you know, visually with my eyes. There's a lot of times at practice, I'm watching it from a defensive perspective. And then at night I watch it, I'm watching from a, you know, quarterback perspective and, and also talking to, uh, to Coach Munkin and the offensive staff about it. But um, he's done a good job. I, I wouldn't say that there's been a lot of limitations. It doesn't seem like there's been limitations in terms of what he can and can't do. So, yeah, a, a positive update on there. He seems like he's getting healthier. Obviously, Kirby Smart had said that he would go back and review more specifically how he looked. I think, though, from what we have heard from Kirby Smart, if that is to believed in recent days and weeks, that the health aspect of this is no longer holding JT Daniels back. It is the practice aspects of this, of proving that he is a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett 
for this Georgia team and thus giving Georgia the best chance to win on Saturday. Now, I think Georgia is capable of winning with both quarterbacks, Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels. And maybe the romantic in me would kind of like to see Stetson Bennett go out there and, and sort of avenge a loss last year where things didn't go his way. He got benched in that game. And I, I'm confident that you could see him go out there and do that. And that might speak to where Georgia and Florida are at the moment. But if you are someone more invested in the long-term success within this season, of Georgia, you probably want to see JT Daniels. This is probably going to be Georgia's toughest game, or at least the most talented team they say on their schedule until they play in the SEC championship game, until in all likelihood they play Alabama. So I think Kirby Kirby Smart rightfully has to sort of hedge might not be the fair word here, but but balance between the two of Stetson and JT. But I, I think there's obviously a, a growing concern. I'm concerned might not be the perfect word there, but a lot of people want to see how JT Daniels looks and performs. And if he's able to play well over these final five games of the regular season for Georgia, you you'd probably feel a lot more confident and comfortable going into that Alabama game. So obviously Kirby Smart just touched on a little bit there, the sort of health aspect of JT as far as getting back up to game speed, getting into the flow of the offense, he did also have an update on that. Mike Griffith asked this question, and here's what Kirby Smart had to say as far as JT and getting up to the speed of the game. Uh, I thought I, I, watching Monday's practice, I thought he handled that well. Today's, you know, I want to reserve judgment until I see it from the, the actual tape, but there's nothing there that, that, that I noticed as a, a problem for him. He moved around the pocket, made some throws. I didn't see all the periods because I'm not in both locations. So I get ready to watch uh, – Watch that um, now and, and, and see how he does tomorrow, too. Thank you, Coach Smart. Thanks, everybody. And so, so, yeah, so you have Kirby Smart sort of talking there, saying he still wants to sort of see how JT progresses. But in the sort of reading of the green here, and obviously, again, this can change. The lat injury can flare up once again. JT Daniels has missed the last three starts for Georgia, has not played since September 25th against Vanderbilt. Knowing what we know about lad injuries and specifically Dak Prescott's lad injury that was referenced by Kirby Smart at sort of the beginning of all of this, Dak Prescott roughly missed a month. And it's been about a month. It'll have been about a month for JT Daniels come Saturday. And so with the way things are trending there, I do tend to believe that we're going to see JT on on Saturday. And at this point, the reason we wouldn't see that isn't because of his lad injury, but it's just because Kirby Smart believes Stetson Bennett gives Georgia a better chance to win on Saturday. And, and I think that stems from practice. You heard a lot on Monday, sort of Kirby Smart talking about the importance of practice and how that is going to shape how Georgia rolls at quarterback. But at this point in time on Tuesday night, having talked to Kirby twice in the last two days, I do think that it is going to be JT on Saturday against Florida. Could we see Stetson Bennett? I think there's a good chance that we do on Saturday. I could see maybe a a rotation similar to what we saw in the game against South Carolina. I, I could even see Stetson potentially starting if JT doesn't practice as well as Kirby Smart wants him to practice. But that's sort of our update there on the quarterback situation. I do think Kirby Smart also, and this is a little ad-libbed here, talked some interesting things about the wide receiver position and where they are in terms of health. I will note right now he did not he was not asked specifically about George Pickens. I don't think we're seeing George Pickens this weekend. I don't think we're seeing Dominic Blaylock this weekend either. And obviously I'm sure people will ask about Arik Gilbert. Nothing new there with him. He is still not around the team. But he was sort of asked, you know, media got to see practice on on Monday and it looked like a couple of guys were moving a little bit better. And so, you know, for an, for a unit that has been incredibly banged up all season, is there a little bit more confidence that we could potentially see some of these guys out of the field? And 
I thought Kirby gave an interesting answer. Listen closely here. He does seem to indicate that another wide receiver has picked up an injury, but it sounds like Georgia is set to get some good news as far as a few of those injured wide receivers and what they might bring to the team on Saturday against Florida. Yeah, we're hoping to get Arian back. He, he, he's he been uh, closer each week. Um, it is. It's just a lower leg contusion that has really bothered him uh, when he plants and, um, and runs. But, I mean, he's much closer this week. Uh, he's been on about a – 50% uh, pitch count. He's been repping with the twos, and uh, he's getting reps. And, you know, I think he's looked better this week than he has in the past. we got to hope that continues the rest of the week. Um, you know, Jermaine's been bothered by the growing. He's fought through that. He's not 100%. Uh, Justin Robinson's got a little bit of a hamstring now. Um, so he's banged up. Dom's still out. So I, I don't – I feel like we're better off than we were going into the Auburn game, but I don't feel like we're we're – we're near where we need to be in terms of at wide receivers. But I do think Aaron will be back and, uh, and the Marcus Rosen, he's done a good job this week and Jermaine's been out there practicing. So just those three alone uh, are a huge boost. So, yeah, thinking back to that Auburn game again, they only had five healthy wide receivers in that game that were able to play. And so sounds like you're going to get Marcus, Jack Saint, Arian Smith, Jermaine Burton all back. I think that's, going to help JT Daniels out a lot. It's going to help these tight ends draw some tension away from them, though. I think Florida is going to make it a point to try and take away Brock Bowers. Good luck in doing that because I think he's that talented of a tight end. I do think you see a lot from Darno Washington this weekend as well. Still given, you know, it's going to be interesting to sort of see where things are with this wide receiver unit because it's one thing to be healthy enough to play, but it's another to be healthy enough to produce. You know, Rosemary Jackson and Burton – were able to go against Kentucky, but they didn't do much. And granted, they weren't asked to, but I can't imagine Georgia's going to want to lean a whole lot on Ladd McConkie and Donnie Mitchell in this game. So if you have guys that have played in big moments before, Arian Smith, uh, who played in the Peach Bowl last year, Jermaine Burton, who played all last season, and then Rosemary Jackson, who ironically got hurt in this game a year ago, if you're able to get those guys out there and get them in these sort of big-time situations, I think that's encouraging as this Georgia offense looks to round into shape going into the final month of the season because they're going to play some truly awful defenses that final month. And so I think that's going to allow this Georgia offense, which it has been good. I don't think anyone would complain really about what they have seen from the Georgia offense to this point in terms of a balanced attack. Sure, maybe you'd like to be more explosive or maybe you'd like to see the running game be a little bit better. But for the most part, this Georgia offense has held up its end of the bargain. It just it hasn't looked great. It hasn't looked like Ohio State's or Alabama's has to this point in time. But I think they face the defenses in the final month. And if you get some of these wide receivers and you get JT Daniels back, I think there's a chance that you see this offense maybe not get to the same level that Alabama and Ohio State were at, but at least get close enough that factored in with their defense, which is far superior to what Alabama and Ohio State have. It should make things very interesting come the end of the season. So JT Daniels update, Georgia wide receiver update. That's our first topic for tonight. We will now move into our main course here. Kirby Smart versus Dan Mullen. Um, I believe there is not a coach out there that Kirby Smart detests, despises, dislikes more than Dan Mullen. And just look into the backgrounds and where these guys came from and how they became head coaches. And it's easy to see why that is the case. Kirby Smart was a longtime defensive coordinator, worked for Nick Saban. Got the Georgia job when it came to open at his alma mater, a dream job. 
Compare that to Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen worked for Urban Meyer. He was an offensive coordinator. He goes at Mississippi State, a program that, quite frankly, had not done a whole lot, historically speaking, until Mullen got there, works his way into the Florida job. So you can understand. And, again, these guys saw each other every year at Alabama when Smart was there as a defensive coordinator and Mullen was the head coach. These guys have a history against one another, You know, even as coordinators back in 2008 when Florida beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. So these guys have a long storied history and smart for a long time has gotten the better of Dan Mullen, except really until last year when for a variety of reasons, Florida just played better than Georgia that day and won pretty convincingly 44, 28. And I'm not even sure that that final score shows how dominant Florida was in that game. And so Kirby smart going into this year, you know, obviously you expect Florida to take a step back and Georgia was a top five team to start the season. But I don't think anybody envisioned this game being a matchup involving the number one team in the country in Georgia and far and away the clear number one team in the country. I don't think anyone would have said that. Even perhaps the biggest Georgia fans out there would have predicted that at the beginning of the season against a Florida team that is four and three. And this is the first time since Dan Mullen has become the head coach of Florida that the Gators enter this game unranked. And some of the numbers surrounding Dan Mullen have not been great in recent weeks in, in, re, in recent games, his last eight games against power five opponents, he is two and six at Florida. That is not good at, at all. That is Vanderbilt, Missouri level of an aptitude there. And so that is obviously an issue. And I think it looks even starker when you compare Alabama, Georgia and, and Florida are programs that are good enough to win national championships. They have the resources. They have the ability to do so. They have the theoretical recruiting pipelines to win national champions championships. Georgia looks to be on that level. Now, whether they end up doing that, that is a question that Kirby Smart still has to answer. It's also one Dan Mullen has to answer as well. And these two coaches are going in separate directions entering this weekend. Uh, you look at where Georgia is right now. Yes, Obviously, they need to win this game, and I think they're going to be very motivated by what happened in Jacksonville last year. But Florida needs this game even more, and they're going to enter as a two-touchdown underdog, and there's still a lot of talent there, and all that is good and well. If Dan Mullen loses this game, falls to 4-4, four and four. it'll be a second straight season of at best 8-4, and four, now maybe 9-4 and four if you factor in the bowl game, though. If you saw what we saw from, from Mullen last year in that bowl game loss to Oklahoma, I'm not really sure – why you would feel so confident there. And if anything, I think you can look back to last year's bowl games as the difference really between these two coaches. Smart took that game against Cincinnati it's very, very seriously. It could have been very easy for Georgia to roll over in that game and not care all that much and say, hey, you know, hey, we're playing a group of five team. And Cincinnati made them work, and Georgia ended up winning and came out, I think, better for it as a team and as a program going into this year, and I think you've seen that. Conversely, that Florida team laid down and didn't bother to show up in the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma. And I think some of the symptoms that you saw from that game have leaked into this season. And I'd add as well, you know, Georgia hasn't played a ton of close games this year. The only one decided by single digits was the win over Clemson. But a lot of guys that played against Cincinnati last year played in close game. They played in a close game and have that experience. Florida doesn't have that this year, and it's not a coincidence that all three of their losses are by one score in all games they quite frankly, probably should have won. Maybe the Alabama game, you can make an argument there, but they're more talented and better teams than Kentucky and LSU, but they found a way to lose both of those games. And so entering this week, there's obviously the, the Anthony Richardson, Emory Jones drama and how Georgia is looking at that. I think everyone in the world expects to see a healthy amount, certainly the most amount 
Anthony Richardson. Kirby Smart talked this week and tonight specifically about facing them, about facing those two guys and how they might help. And also what Dan Mullen does to put those guys in positions of success because as well regarded as smart as on defense, for the most part, I think a lot of people see Dan Mullen the same way in his ability to call and identify an offense and get the most out of the talent there. And we're going to touch on the other side of this, though, about the problem with the, the sort of narrative surrounding Dan Mullen and why I think that might be contributing a little bit to his downfall and the way people view him. So here's Kirby Smart talking about Dan Mullen and what Mullen does well. The thing about Dan Mullen is he has packages of plays to accentuate his playmakers. So whether it was Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, uh, whoever it might be, uh, he's always had the ability at Mississippi State, um, where he may not have had as many playmakers as he's had at Florida. He he knows how to get them the ball. Um, he does it in ways that he creates uh, confusion. Um, he moves people around. Um, I think he's gotten better. From you know, there was times at Mississippi State where I thought he had done the same thing for a long time. Now. Uh, he's got more presentation to what he does and did a good job of that last year. And I mean, we all learn from other people. So it's like, you know, there's a copycat element to what we all do defensively and offensively, but he's taken what other NFL teams and uh, other college teams do well and added it to his, his offense to get his players the ball. So, yeah, you hear Kirby Smart praise the job that Dan Mullen does in getting his most talented players the ball, but Part issue that becomes harder and harder to ignore, especially as Florida struggles more, is that talent issue there in Gainesville. Florida has shown before Mullen got there that you can still, even without putting out a great year in your product, recruit at a really high level. Will Muschamp did that. Mullen hasn't really showed that. The highest class he has had finished is ranked ninth. And you look at this current class, last week they lose Shamar James, their top-ranked commitment in this class. This week, they lose Julian Humphrey, their top-ranked commitment in this class. So two weeks back-to-back, they've lost top 100 players in this class. And there's a chance both those guys end up at Georgia. I think there's a really good chance that Jalen Humphrey ends up at Georgia. So when you're losing that kind of talent and you're losing on the field, that is a bad recipe. And especially when you lose those top guys, it's even worse for Mullen because he doesn't have a great history of landing those guys. And actually, I encourage you to go take a look at Florida's recruiting class right now, and they do still have a top 100 commit in Isaiah Bond and have some other nice wide receivers. But they don't have a four-star defensive player in their class at this point in time. And you look at some of the issues with Florida right now on the field, the defense just got gashed against LSU. Uh, The talent issue with Dan Mullen and his inability to, to recruit consistently or even recruit at a level, maybe not Kirby Smart's level, but at a Jimbo Fisher level where you're on that fringe top five, top six, top four List. They, he can't even crack that. And when you factor that in, that's something that Florida fans have long had an issue with Dan Mullen. When you can't get that kind of talent in there, it reduces your margin of error. That's why we've seen them lose these close games to an Alabama, to a Kentucky, to an LSU this season because they don't have the wide margin of error that a Georgia or an Alabama work with and aren't necessarily able to wear teams down over the course of a game. I think you've seen that from Georgia in its last two second halves against Kentucky and against Auburn. Kentucky and Auburn came out with good plans and were able to make Georgia work a little bit in the first halves of those games. But because Georgia's talent advantage is so overwhelming, and Kirby Smart deserves credit for that because he is, if not the best college head coach recruiter in the country, that is a key tenant 
to his program building philosophy, something that is not a part of Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen says, we're going to find good players and we're going to coach the most out of them and, and squeeze that rag for all that we can. Kirby Smart's just going to go out and get as many guys as he can that he feels comfortable as playing. And now you might say, oh, Kirby Smart doesn't develop them to the best of their abilities. Okay, I mean, Georgia's producing the second or third most players in the NFL draft in the past couple of years. And this year they might have put more guys in the draft than anyone. So uh, there's certainly some evidence that contradicts those that feel that way. But uh, And I'm not the first person to bring this up. You ask Florida fans who they'd rather have as their head coach even before this season. I think there would be quite a few that would still take Kirby Smart. There's not a Georgia fan out there that would have taken Dan Mullen going into this year. And I think the way this Florida season has progressed has showed some of the flaws with Dan Mullen. He, he's not great with the media and not great at always explaining himself. And you have to come out and explain yourself after losses. That's tough. You think back to that LSU loss in 2019 in the SEC championship game. Kirby Smart made it very clear how he felt about his program and then went out that offseason and showed, hey, I know I have to get better on the offensive side of the ball. I'm making a change. I'm parting ways with James Coley, who is a great coordinator and was an asset to this program, and brought in Todd Munkin. You look at Dan Mullen. He's kept Todd Grantham around as his defensive coordinator there. And perhaps in detriment to not just the Florida program, but Dan Mullen's status as it is. Dan Mullen is going to be head coach again. He's probably going to get fired at Florida, but I think he's a good enough program builder. Someone, even in the SEC, might take a look at him or at an ACC job, and he'll build a good program. But I don't know how you look at this season. And Saturday, I think, could go a long way in shaping the long-term narrative of this and say that Dan Mullen is on Kirby Smart's level. And if Kirby Smart goes out and he makes a statement, and I know he's going to want to make a statement against Florida on Saturday, if he goes out there and does that, the clock's already sort of started ticking on Dan Mullen. Uh, there's been some reporting on his buyout, and it is a very school-friendly buyout, only $12 million. Most of that, half of that is due up front, and then 8% is roughly due every year after that. If Florida goes out and gets embarrassed on Saturday, I'm not saying Dan Mullen's going to get fired. I think they've got a great chance to still win the rest of their games. Their schedule is also pretty soft to close the season. But the clock really starts to tick if Kirby Smart shows, hey, this is how wide the gap is between what I have as a program right now and what Dan Mullen has built in Florida. Because Dan Mullen doesn't have the excuse of being a new coach there. It's year four for him. These are all pretty much his players and the program that he has built up there. So I think the the Dan Mullen-Kirby Smart narrative could – this could re- this weekend, if it gets ugly and Dan Mullen's not able to keep this a close game, I think it could really be getting – be the beginning of the end there for the Dan Mullen era in Gainesville. So that's our second topic here for tonight, talking Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen, where those two programs are headed. Obviously, big game this weekend, 3.30 CBS. Number one, Georgia back in action after an off week. Florida as well was off last week as well. Should be very interesting and entertaining to watch. Uh, One last thing before I open it up to the questions, comments you guys might have. Let's talk a little Early college football thoughts. I'm not getting into the hypotheticals because I hate that more than anything. And I'll even admit this is too early to get into it really. But I got a chance to watch a lot of teams this weekend. And obviously you don't want to take away too much from a one-game sample. But sort of thought forming and what we might see from them. And I'll start. My buddy Alex, we were in Nashville watching the Oklahoma-Kansas game. And I, I have to agree with him. If you're a Georgia fan, put Oklahoma in the playoff. Let Georgia play Oklahoma in that one versus four matchup because that Oklahoma team uh, should not frighten you. Yes, Caleb Williams did some nice things and is probably going to get better as the season progresses, though they do face some tougher defenses and certainly bigger challenges than Kansas. But 
I mean, if you're sweating four quarter games against Kansas and you're having to go for it on fourth down to, to sort of give yourself some breathing room late in that game, by game seven, you are what you are as a program. And so if you're a Georgia fan worried about Oklahoma, they could get in because the Big, the Big 12 is a little bit down this year. I don't think there's a clear second challenger to Oklahoma. But that team shouldn't scare you come the playoff. Uh, as far as the Big 10 East, uh, we're going to see it play out on the field because Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State all play each other. But I think Ohio State is a pretty clear best team in the Big 10. But let me paint you a scenario, let's say. Let's say Oklahoma wins out. Let's say Georgia wins out because I don't want to even deal with the Alabama-ness of this all. Let's say Cincinnati wins out and the committee decides to reward Cincinnati for beating Indiana, for beating Notre Dame. Let's say you have a one-loss Ohio State Big 12 champion and a one-loss Oregon Big 12 cha- uh, Pac-12 champion. Obviously, Ohio State has looked better than Oregon in recent weeks. But Oregon beat Ohio State head-to-head on the field. And if there's a situation where both those programs are being weighed against one another – I don't know how you would take Ohio State over Oregon given the head-to-head win on Ohio State's home field. But boy, if the committee does follow through with that and take an take Ohio State over Oregon as the fourth as the clear fourth team, man, that's going to get really really tricky there and I think the frustrations you already see with the college football playoff which I have my fair share of I think are going to be ratcheted up to another level. And, and there were a lot of cries and talks this offseason about expanding the playoff earlier and getting more teams in. If that happens to Oregon for Ohio State to get in there, and you know, theoretically we could even have, you know, let's say Georgia goes 12 and 0, but they lose to Alabama and, and it's you know, at that point I do think Cincinnati gets gets kept out. I think if you're a Cincinnati fan, you need to root for Georgia to beat Alabama because that's your best shot getting into the college football playoff. And part of me believes that they're going to put two 12 and one sec teams in the college football playoff, even over a 13 and 0 Cincinnati team as unfair as that is. Uh, if you leave out a 12 and one Georgia from the playoff, I, that'd be really tough to see at this point in time. You know, obviously depending on how things go in that game against Alabama, but if you if you have twelve and one Ohio State and twelve and one Oregon and you take twelve and one Ohio State but you don't take twelve and one Oregon, I don't see how that doesn't just prove what everyone is saying about the college football playoff out there that it's designed towards big brands, it's designed towards big schools because Oregon went out there on the field and sure over the course of their season they weren't all that impressive. I watched them against UCLA. I like the way they finished that game. I think UCLA is a good team. But if you take Ohio State over Oregon, what are you really saying? That the games don't matter? That head-to-head doesn't matter? That we're just going to take this team because, yeah, they beat up on the, the lesser Rams of the Big Twi- the, the, the Big Ten and then got a chance to play some ranked teams in their, in their own conference and took advantage of that. And for the record, I'm not sure how good Michigan State or Michigan really are to this point. And we'll find out over these coming weeks, Michigan and Michigan State actually play each other this weekend. So it'll be sort of interesting to watch and follow all of that. But, you know, uh, the way it looked, Alabama looked really good. I know Tennessee moved the ball. I mean, I think when Georgia plays Tennessee, you're going to probably see a similar game played out because that's the way it has played out when they've played bigger teams, Florida, for example. And even you look at some of the wins, Missouri, South Carolina, they jump out to really quick starts. But over the course of the game, they have a hard time sustaining that. I think that's really because of the depth issues that they have there with all the players they had enter the transfer portal. But Josh Heupel is, I think, really impressed in year one there. But Alabama still looks like a very real threat. Ohio State looks like a national title contender. Georgia obviously does. We'll get to see them back in action on Saturday. 
Oklahoma doesn't scare me. Cincinnati could be interesting. I could see them winning one game, uh, especially off what we saw last year. But winning two, I think, would be a real stretch for this team. Oregon, you know, probably closer to to Oklahoma than Ohio State in terms of where they are on the scale. But if they win their conference and they ha- and go eleven and go twelve and one and have that win over Ohio State, I, I think it's going to be hard to keep Oregon out of the playoff at the expense of Ohio State in particular. There, so little playoff talk. The first rankings come out next Tuesday. We'll be talking about that, reacting to it live as it happens. So plenty of news and notes to follow there. We do this now. We turn it over to you guys. Questions, comments, thoughts. We touched on JT Daniels at the beginning of the night. We touched on Kirby Smart versus Dan Mullen and where they're going. So we will sort of see where you guys decide to take these questions and comments. Uh, Jay Shipes, I actually disagree with you here. I think Cincinnati's a better team this year than they were a season ago. And Marcus Freeman has not done great things with that Notre Dame uh, defense there uh, on the season as a whole. So I would disagree with you there. Um. Look, uh, you know, people question Cincinnati. They've, again, sure, they played a one-score game against Navy this week, a triple option team. They beat Notre Dame, and sure, you people hate Notre Dame. And they beat Indiana by double digits, and they're going to beat, I think, a ranked SMU team as well that is unbeaten at this point in the year. They've gone out and showed. They scheduled big boys. They go out and played well. They went out and went toe-to-toe against Georgia last year and were a 53-yard field goal away from beating the Bulldogs. So I, I, I do take Cincinnati as a real team. I also see there's a, a very real world where they get, and I use this word intentionally, screwed out of the playoff because of their conference affiliation. So, you know, right now, if they're playing on a neutral field, I'll take Cincinnati over Oklahoma. Uh, I feel like Cincinnati is pretty clearly, in my opinion, a better team than what we have seen from Oklahoma in the first seven weeks of the season. Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah, so Rick Martin, this is this is certainly something to watch. A, a twelve, a, uh, you know, the potential of a twelve and one non conference champion Georgia being left out, whereas a twelve and one Alabama. We're not now a twelve and one Alabama means they've won the SEC, and you know, I think a lot of people believe that twelve and one uh, SEC champion should SEC champion should always get in. But I, I think you're talking in the larger sense of if you flipped it, and let's say Georgia, Georgia was gets to the SEC title game 11-1 and and Alabama was undefeated. If Alabama were to lose that game, Alabama still gets in and they get the benefit of the doubt. Whereas Georgia, it's still unknown if they're going to get that benefit of the doubt. And we'll see next week with the college football playoff committee how this all sort of shakes out. Um, 20th and 21st movies. Um, Right now... These two teams are pretty even. I like the skill talent a little bit more on Ohio State side. So I would probably lean the Buckeyes there, but they both have bad defenses. And I, I, I will say the Alabama factor of Georgia being unable to beat them in the past and the manner that which they have, I do think that factors into it as well. I, I think Ohio State's offense probably gives Georgia a little bit more trouble. So I think you would have to lean Alabama there. Does Georgia cover on Saturday? Tune in to Cover 4 Live on Friday to get my answer on that there. I would point out, me and Dario Payroll are leading leading the pack right now, neck and neck, uh, while it looks like some of the other Dog Nation team members are struggling to keep up there when it comes to that. Uh, comments and questions. Uh, Rodney Baxter, who would I start at quarterback this week? I would start JT Daniels. Um, I feel like we have to see him 
progress and make those next steps. He looked good against South Carolina. He looked good against Vanderbilt. I want to see him healthy, and obviously that's the most important thing. But I I still sort of believe in my heart of hearts if this team is going to win a national championship and beat an Ohio State, beat an Alabama, beat those high-powered offenses, I think JT is going to have to be the guy that has to do it. So uh, I see people are talking masks. I don't really know why. Um, let's see. Questions. <laughs> Keith, I love you. Uh, Wake Forest isn't getting in. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think Wake Forest in a playoff would be cool. I think that's part of the reason we need a 12-team playoff because this. I think Wake and Pitt are two very interesting and fun teams to watch. Could they beat Georgia Alabama? I don't think so. But Pitt took it to Clemson on Saturday. And Kenny Pickett – could very well end up winning the Heisman Trophy if Pitt wins the ACC this year and he continues to play really well. But at the same point in time, Pitt lost to Western Michigan earlier this year. Um, because the ACC is so clearly down, I, I think – and think back to that first week of the season, you know, Clemson loses to Georgia. Miami gets blown out by Alabama. Louisville gets housed by Ole Miss. The way that the ACC struggled there week one, I think it's going to make it very, very interesting. Uh, let's see. Thoughts, comments, questions, ask away. Um, let's see. Braves are up 2-0. That's, that's good. So good to hear that. Uh, so, yeah, Willie Gray, this is going to be interesting. And maybe we see it against Florida. Maybe we don't. Um uh, we'll see how much Kirby Smart wants to push Jordan Davis for uh, the Heisman Trophy. And I, I still think it's it, it's tough to imagine Jordan winning it just because I don't believe the electoral, the electoral body is going to vote for a defensive tackle that doesn't produce a ton of stats. But if you were to theoretically, if he gets a touchdown in this game and has sort of those big Heisman-esque moments and this Georgia defense continues to play really well and they beat Alabama, I think if, you're, if you want to see Jordan Davis in New York – you need to see Georgia beat Alabama. This defense continue to shine the way it has all season. And Jordan Davis get a touchdown or two. Uh, you know, we've seen him on that goal line package, though usually as a tight end and not as a sort of fullback option that Jalen Carter has. And if Kirby Smart, you know, wants to try and push him as a Heisman finalist, he has not had that in his time yet as head coach. I think it'll be worth watching. But, I, you know, Jordan Davis to this point in the season probably has as good a chance as any player that Kirby Smart has had as a possible Heisman candidate. Uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Comments. Yeah, JD to NYC. Uh, Jermaine King, no. I would not have believed that Pitt or Wake Forest were capable of winning the ACC. And I, I touched a little bit on this in my winners and losers column on Monday Clemson is Clemson like Dabo Sweeney has to change significantly because the way this Clemson program has faltered, uh, DJ O'Neill has struggled. He got benched on Saturday, haven't been able to run the ball. And some of the cracks were starting to show last year, but you look at the way they recruit and their defense is still exceptional. You know, one of those touchdowns in that game came off a new young pick six defensively. There isn't a problem offensively. They have to fundamentally go back to the drawing board 
and look at the way they go after offensive players. This offensive line hasn't really measured up, and they don't recruit at the same levels that, say, an Alabama or a Georgia do along the trenches. And I think you can point to that as well with LSU and some of the issues that they've had. Look at the wide receiver position as well there. Let me take a quick sip of water. You look back, look at the wide receivers they have. They're all the sort of same similar body type, you know, 6'2", 6'3", physical guys on the outside. But this team (coughs) doesn't really have a burner. They don't have a guy that can stretch the defense. And I think Georgia absolutely took advantage of that. And the way Clemson's offense was poorly designed at this point really set into why Georgia was able to have so much success against them in that big game. Because while Clemson has the recruiting edge and the recruiting talent there, the way that Clemson has built its offense has just made it so hard for them to win. And I think that Georgia game really exposed some of the flaws where with this team, you get physical with their wide receivers on the outside because you don't trust them to beat them deep. You pressure the quarterback because this offensive line still isn't all that great and they struggle to run the ball. And DJ Uyunglele, not only has he not progressed, he's regressed and looked much, much worse than he did a season ago. So – This Clemson program really has to reevaluate a lot of things going forward and change the way that it does. And and maybe maybe this is a little overreactionary. The changes that Clemson has to make, those are not quick change things. Those are not things you can change in an offseason. I don't think it's like Georgia swapping out James Coley for Todd Munkin. I don't think it'd be that easy. It's like turning an oil tanker what Clemson is going to have to do. And that's not a quick process. They're going to have to change the way they recruit. They're going to have to change the way they they identify players because it's clear while it's great when you have a transcendent quarterback and you have a transcendent running back and Travis Etienne, when you don't have those guys to lift up your offense, you're seeing what you're seeing right now at a Clemson. And DJ Uyengle, a guy who's really talented and a lot of people really liked, clearly is suffering from that. Uh, let's see, Richard Hill, will Pickens play this year? I, I think these next couple of weeks are going to be really interesting to monitor that. I don't think we see him this week against Florida. I always personally felt that was a little premature. Missouri could be interesting. That's George's last home SEC game. I don't think you'd play him against Charleston Southern unless you just really wanted to get him reps. At Tennessee, you're going to have to make an interesting choice there because obviously a limited travel roster, but if you feel he's confident and comfortable in his knee, I think that's certainly something worth following. And then they close the year with Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. Those are theoretical get-right games. And so because of that, I think it's going to be interesting to sort of see how he goes. I'd be real surprised if his first game is that SEC championship game. And so because of that, you want to see him get back and get healthy. So we'll sort of see where things go with Pickens. I don't think we're going to see him this week. I also do not expect to see Dominic Blaylock this week as well. Uh, Let's see. Go dogs. Uh, Coop, do I think Georgia, Florida will ever move to a home and home? I do. I, I, as much as I disagree with it, I, I, I see a world where let's say Kirby wins a national title or two and, and is able to consolidate more power. Let's say you bring in a coach at Florida who really, really, really values recruiting. And I expect if, and when they move on from Mullen, that's the sort of zag that they're going to go because coaches always sort of try and go the opposite ways of which they've gone, or schools try to go the opposite ways of which they've gone before. I could see a world where they decide to value that recruiting home game every other year over the the money that they bring in from the Jacksonville game. Because economically speaking, it is more beneficial for these programs 
to have this game played in Jacksonville than it is to have it in a home and home every season. And you can say, well, what about the city of Athens? Well, Georgia cares about the city of Athens, but not at its own expense of the bottom line. And so because of that, you know, there are reasons, obviously, to keep this game in Jacksonville. I would note Greg McGarity uh, still plays a large hand in this in, in, in this game being in Jacksonville every year. And I do think there's a large amount of people, specifically those Georgia fans in North Florida, in South Georgia, that want to see this game in Jacksonville. And I include myself among that. You know, the drive down, the trip to St. Simons Island, or whether you be a Sea Island, an Amelia Island person. Uh, I still value that tradition and, and still think it's a cool sight to see it played in Jacksonville every year. However, with the way Kirby Smart has this program going, and knowing that he, I, I think, would potentially like to see this game move to a home-and-home, home, I do think there is a very real world where one day this game moves away from being a home-and-home. Home. Um, yeah, so John Adams, this is the better question. It's not necessarily who much who starts this game. It's who closes out this game. And, you know, that probably implies a close game. I do think if Georgia is able to stretch a lead here a little bit, maybe you do see Stetson Bennett there in the second half. So I think that's something to watch going forward. Uh, Kevin McGravy, as far as JT potentially coming back next year, I think this next month is going to be really important for that. If he's playing all five games and he leads Georgia past Alabama in the SEC championship game and into the college football playoff, we probably see him head on to the NFL. But if, if he doesn't play against Florida, if he doesn't get a full bite at the apple, I think the eye, and this has always sort of been, you know, when the decision I think comes to a head on that, if he doesn't get a full runway here to play and close out this season, maybe we don't see him. Uh, or maybe we do see him, I should say, coming back next year. Because great, he's got a lot of games, but he has to prove that he can stay healthy for a full year because he didn't do it his, his second year at USC. He didn't do it his first year at USC either when he missed a game due to concussion. Didn't do it last year at Georgia and didn't do it this year at Georgia. So you've got a four-year sample size with JT Daniels in years that he has started as a quarterback. and He has not been able to finish them or stay healthy throughout the season. And so I think him finishing this season, I think, would go a long way in sort of quelling any of the obvious and, and certainly, I think, at this point, fair uh, questions regarding his injury status. Let's see. Um... Yeah, so at this point, I, I do think we probably see JT close out the game. Though, with the way that Stetson Bennett is able to run the ball, and I've got something coming up on this uh, on Thursday, you, you wonder if that could be an asset in a really close game. Uh, let's see. So, resident dog fishing fan, I believe the contract runs through 2023 at least and then there's an opt-out but there is also the potential to continue the current contract for another two years and then from there obviously they can renegotiate and extend it um let's see coleman wallace player of the game on saturday i will go with adam anderson I think he has a big game. I think you see him fly off the edge there. Kirby Smart was asked, you know, with, with Florida being a better running team, do you potentially spy uh, Anthony Richardson or Henry Jones back there? And, and Kirby Smart sort of pushed back on that and said, Adam is at his best, and I agree with him. Adam is at his best when he's just rushing off the edge. And sure, you worry a little bit about contain, but Adam Anderson is a good enough athlete, I think, to track those guys down and make life difficult. So, I look for Adam Anderson to have a big game. I would also – I'd throw out Trayvon Walker there as well. He's really started to come on in the month of October, and I could see him having a big game on Saturday. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, Robbie McCullough, do we finally have a running back go over 100 yards on the ground this weekend? That's, I think, a good, a really good question there. And it's certainly something to watch because you're not going to have Kendall Milton this weekend. Kenny McIntosh's status is iffy, and so we're not really sure where things are going to go with him at this point in time. And I don't – well, yes, you obviously want to have depth there. I don't know if that's a bad thing because it means you're allowing guys like Zamir White and James Cook to get into more of a rhythm. And so because of that, I think you have a better chance of seeing them, you know, like you saw Zamir at the end of the Clemson game, rip off consecutive runs of seven, eight, nine yards. And that's how you really get up to 100 yards. And so I, I think to this point in the season, this game maybe represents the best chance. And, I mean, this Florida defense just got gashed two weeks ago against an LSU team that had not run the ball at all. So I think there's a good chance we see that with Zamir White this weekend. And I expect James Cook to have a big game there as well, though obviously not getting these sort of carry limits there. So, yeah, sounds like the Braves are continuing to do well. I see a couple of Nakobe Dean, Jordan Davis, uh, Jermaine Dunbar, what's that? Uh, he's already in the Heisman running, uh, but if he has a big game on Saturday and this Florida, this Georgia defense really shuts down this Florida offense, which for all the concerns about Florida at the moment, their offense is still really good, and I believe they lead the country in yards per carry. So this is going to be an interesting test there with regards to how Florida is able to run the ball against this Georgia defensive front and Jordan Davis in particular. And I'd point out Jordan Davis didn't play in this game a year ago, and he's going to be motivated to come out and prove the impact that he would have had in that game. And, you know, obviously the Heisman talk, while that doesn't motivate him, I I think it could, you know, certainly propel him going forward in that discussion. So uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I, I will say, uh, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, Capiga Capiga. Um, Trayvon Walker's not going to be on the defensive line next year. He's going to be, he's going to be playing in, in the NFL, I think potentially even as a first round draft pick, but Jalen Carter coming back next year, uh, that defensive line is still going to cause plenty of problems. Um, so we'll probably leave it at there, uh, for tonight. That is Connor and coverage. We do this every Tuesday. We'll be back next Tuesday. Recapping Florida, discussing the first college football playoff rankings. They come out. We are winding down the season. Georgia plays Missouri next week, so that'll be worth watching as well. You have Jeff Sintel and Before the Hedges tomorrow night. Uh, recapping a huge recruiting week last weekend. You know, we touch on Dan Mullen and the issues that he's had recruiting. I think Georgia landing Michael Williams, landing Bear Alexander, landing Ali Ba. Man, that thing makes things look even tougher. Georgia has the number one recruiting class in the country right now, so that's worth following there as well. Cover four is going to be back on Thursday. We were off this last week. I am sure, without a doubt in my mind, we are going to get to hear Mike Griffith explain why this game should be moved to home and home. And I am sure Brandon Adams and I will explain once again why he is just wrong on that statement. So certainly stuff to follow there. You have Dog Nation Daily in its brand new studio. I was in there producing today every Monday through Friday. Make sure to check that out. Uh, this has been Connor and coverage. We do this every Tuesday night. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Georgia plays Florida three 30 on Saturday. Should be a lot of fun. Number one Bulldogs back in action. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We hope to see you around. <laughs>